Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ballplayer podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 99th episode of the podcast. We had a chance to talk to 2021 ABCA Ethics Coaching Award winner, former legendary coach at Horatio High School in Arkansas, and current head coach at the University of Arkansas at Rich Mountain, Coach Lance Spigner. Coach Spigner, like I said, is the current head coach of Arkansas Rich Mountain. Um, this is his third season. He started a season just recruiting. Then they played a season, which was last year, and then he's getting ready to start year two here very shortly. And year one, there was a first program. It's the first uh, the, he's starting the program brand new. He led the Bucks to the Plains District Championship runner-up. So he made it to the district championship final game. And before that, he was the Horatio High School head coach. He was there for 28 years in the state of Arkansas. Um, was three-time ABCA region champ. He's won 18, 18 conference championships in 28 years. Ten regional championships. Was final four in the, final four in the state 14 times. Five-time state championship, over 500 wins. But was also one time the teacher of the year at the high school. Coach Spigner, you'll hear, has a huge competitor, is very detail-oriented, and he just has a huge passion for the game. And it was just a tremendous, uh, great time to talk to him. Uh, we, we touched base on a bunch of things, but this this one... If you're ready for some drills, you're ready for to implement some things, to have more things like as Coach Bogner talks about, having them inside your toolbox, this is what you want to hear. We just roll. Um, for those guys who saw all him at the ABCA um, and things, he, he continues to do, uh, go off of them and we hear more of it. Uh, it was a great you t- a baseball conversation. So if you love drills, you love talking shop, this is it, man. Coach Spiner, that's what we did. We rolled on it. And once we got rolling with what we want to do and how we compete, he was talk. We were talking, and we just rolled. So from catch play, all the way to team defense, and how we're how we're able to compete and bring in variety. Those are the two big things he likes to talk about in practice. So we're going to talk touch base into that. Uh, before we do, I guess got a biggest give big shout out to our sponsors. Our guys at Netting Pros, Will Miner, and our guys at Netting Pros, Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting Professionals specialize in design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. So again, big shout out to those guys at Netting Pros and being part of the Netting Pros family chat. And Coach Bidner, appreciate you. And all you guys, you're going to enjoy it as well. You're going to appreciate it. Again, big time guy to listen to. Talk and shop. Be ready to implement something in your practice today here he is head coach at rich mountain coach lance spigner well you know one thing i said that day and i really believe this i'm not 
it's not false modesty or anything like that. I've been surrounded by really good people throughout my career from my administration, uh, but especially to the guys that I've coached with and, and the guys that I've coached. And they, you know, when, when the people around you set the bar high and you don't want to disappoint them, it's easy to do the right thing or to have ethics uh, when you're surrounded by good people. And I, and I honestly believe that, you know, besides the way that I was raised, that the people that I've been around throughout my career uh, have helped me do things the right way. So if there, there are ethics there, I mean, that that's a large part of it. Now, the second thing I think is just, you know, coaching is a relationship game and just having good relationships with other people. I joked around a little bit when I got back. Um, when I, you know, somebody would send me a congratulatory text or I would talk to somebody and I would joke around, well, I guess they didn't, they didn't talk to any of the umpires that I've had through the years. <laughs> well, they, I mean, it was really, it was a joke, but I've had really good relationships with the guys who've umpired our games and the guys that I've coached against. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's a big part of it too. It's just, this is a relationship business. I mean, besides the relationship with the student athletes we have, just with the other coaches and, and just everybody you come in contact, umpires, uh, people that take care of the fields, all that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, to me, those are really the two big parts of it. How do you, um, you know, the, the, how do you be intentional about those things? I mean, I should say, you know, like guys hear that all the time. So what are some of the strategies you do to help build relationships like with those people? I think, I mean, just try to treat everybody with respect. You know, I'm, my dad, my dad was a coach. My dad and I are kind of opposite people. He's, he's an extroverted people person. I'm more the opposite side of that spectrum. I'm kind of more of an introverted person. Um, but it's still, you know, I was taught and, and it's just treating people with respect and the way that you want to be treated. You know, that's one thing about it. It builds solid relationships. People know they can trust you. Um, and you feel like you can trust people, you know, also on the flip side of that. So that's, I think a big part of it is the fact that, you know, you just, um, you treat people the way they need to be treated, whether, you know, it's the, the guy who takes care of the city park, the janitors or school, or your superintendent. And my, I guess the coaching side of me as well, like thinking about how do you pour that into your players, you know, and do that in your players. Like, so uh, I'm sure treating people who are treating respect has, how are you pouring that into your players and expecting that from them as well? You know, you you read all the time or, or just you hear now that you can't pull, pull your players. I mean, they're, especially in this day and age, their antennas are up. They know what's real and what's not. And I honestly believe that. I mean, it's you got to model anything, you know, and anything like this. I think needs to be modeled. You can tell them one thing, and if you're not modeling that behavior for them, uh, you're not going to get the buy-in, and it's you know you're not going to get what you're looking for out of your your players, your team, just the people around you. So I think that's a big part, you know. And then the leading by example thing. There's a fine line there between somebody who can lead by example. Some guys like to just lead by example, but they're, you know, you've also got to speak up when you need to speak up. I mean, that, the whole expression about, you know, if you let something go, you're condoning it. If you can't either, you know, if you just try to lead by example only, you're not willing to speak up when you need to speak up, things will slip by. Um, and I, I honestly believe if you don't say something and, 
you know, you let something slide, you're actually kind of condoning it. So I think there's a balance there between the two of trying to model, you know, the people around you, the way things need to be done. And then that kind of propagates itself, I guess, with your older players as you kind of get a feeder system of, you know, the older guys start to model for the younger guys that comes in and come into your program. And it just kind of builds on itself. Um, but yeah, there's, there's daily maintenance with it too. And you definitely, it's something that you need to model for your players, I think. Hmm. For sure. No, I agree. And I love how you said like nowadays, you know, and here is a coach, you're a 30 year coach, um, you know, still talking about needing to, you can't fool it now. So like, you're already thinking, you know, you made these adjustments. So is that a big change from when you started 30 years ago to where it is now? Or is that something that you've always done? I, I've evolved a lot. I think over, over that time period, you know, I think sometimes I don't think players are a whole lot different now than they were in the past. I mean, I mean, we just as a population, sometimes we, we think about the good old days and, when I was a player, we were tougher than that. These guys were really, I mean, they're really tough these days. They're really smart. Uh, they're really advanced, technologically advanced. I don't, they're different, but they're not that much different from when I first started 30 years ago. They're, you know, they're they're the same players they were then. They're just a, a different version of those guys, if that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as a person, as a coach, the way that I've coached, the way that I treat people, has evolved just because, you know, uh, do I have 30 years of experience or do I have one year of experience 30 times? I mean, you're going to grow as a coach and, you know, you hopefully you get better and you, you know, you evolve into a better version of when you first started, I would hope. Wow. Do I have one 30 years of experience or do I have one year 30 times? Hey, that's awesome. Uh, that's got to be something you bring into in a bat. Is that you play the game? Is that something that you, cause like that's, that's seems like it's part of your language. Is that something you try to promote over to your kids? And what are you asking specifically? In terms of like, man, like, like winning each pitch, you know, that seems like almost like a winning, like people talk about competing, you know, win the pitch, every competing pitch, like how you just said that, right. One year, 30 times or 30 years of experience one time. Um, where like it seems like the one you know one pitch 120 times you know what I mean instead of 120 pitches in the game it just seems like that seems like wow like just such, such a part of your language that was just wondering yeah. if you had if you brought that into your players yeah, we try to I mean that's you know we our goal you know the old one percent better but I mean our, yeah. every year our players for the most part our teams are playing really well at the end of the year. Um, and I, you know, I think there's, we could go into a whole other podcast on, on the reasons why, but I, for the most part, our teams historically have always played a lot better at the end. They're fresher than most people at the end. Uh, and I have some philosophies about that, but, and I think it's, you know, once again, it's like you said a while ago, it's, I mean, we're going to, you know, we're going to fail forward and learn from what we, you know, the, the mistakes that we made in the past, we're going to have a, a system to evaluate as a team, you know, what, where we're reaching our goals and where we're not. Uh, and then we're going to talk calmly and rationally talk about those after the game, say, this is, you know, this is where we're failing. This is where we're succeeding. This is continues to be what we need to improve on. And we're going to start working on that more. Um, 
So, yeah, I think that's a big part of it, but also having a clue, evaluating, having a system to know what you need to work on and, you know, getting that across to your players and then doing your job as a coach and trying to make them better uh, each day to where you're peaking at the end. How, and can you, can you dive into some of those reasons why you think that you play better at the end? Yeah, some people won't like this. We take um, we take days off when it's time to take days off. We There are a lot of times in the season that we, uh, when I was a high school coach, uh, we would play on Friday and I wouldn't see him again until Monday. And then we played a conference game on Monday. So some people will kind of take the flip side of that argument that I'm missing a practice day or I'm, I'm missing a Sunday workout before you play a conference game on Monday. I was always kind of thinking long run, and we were, even in a high school season, as short as it is now to me with 56 games in the spring at junior college level, we wanted to be fresh at the end, and I thought that was a bigger payoff for us at the end, and it was for us. I mean, the, the numbers say it was for us at our high school than, than maybe the day of work on the weekend. Let those guys recharge about – I mean, let's be honest, they're playing for fun. You know, they're not getting paid. They're high school baseball players. Um, so – Fast forward to last year with us here at, at Rich Mountain Junior College level, as we bring 41 guys in, 38 of those guys are true 18-year-old freshmen right out of high school, and we we hit it pretty good. You know, you play the the what is what is now 14 playing dates in the fall, in the 56 games in the spring, and we got tired. You could tell about two thirds of the way through our conference season. Uh, we went from being in second place to losing seven out of eight over two different weekend series. And even the um, you could see it. I mean, I could see it. The umpires, even some of the umpires were marking, your bunch looks a little tired. Uh, well, you know, a couple of things there, we dial back a little bit. Maybe some of the morning lifts, we dial back on those, maybe work some of those into the afternoon, shorten practice up a little bit, and then we kind of got our legs back, back under us and, and played better at the end and better through the tournament. Um, but, you know, we, yeah, we, you could tell we, we kind of hit a wall at one point and we had to back off a little bit. Um, so that's when I say that, you know, they're, they're way, you got to be able to read your team, I think, and, and play for the end game um, and kind of balance that with we're not working enough or, or, you know, I think. I don't know. That's just one thing we it, it proved to be successful for us. Yeah, it's absolutely like you said. The proof's in the pudding. The numbers, the numbers don't lie. You know, five hundred wins don't happen on accident. That's for sure. Five state titles. You know, anyway, last year, lot you guys won the district. You guys did. You guys you got the district championship, right? Yeah, we went through the we went through. Um, the tournament, the winners bracket undefeated, and then Western Oklahoma State came back, double dipped us. We were one one win away from going to the World Series. We were twenty nine and twenty eight last year in our first year, and we were one win away from going to the World Series. Western uh, ended up going to extra innings uh, against LSU Eunice in the, the finals of Game Three, and they were the you know the the national runner up, beat us out of the tournament. Hmm. And it was with off the. Uh, yeah. What else? So you said you and multiple. Did you guys say you had some other philosophies on why that's while you were, uh, you know, kind of playing better at the end? You know, you said you've had a feel for taking your days off and things like that. You saw you talk about lifting too. Um, it's always been something pretty important to you. 
yeah, lifting's always been important. And if I can back up a little bit past that, I mean, you asked a question. The second thing, variety to me is, is a really big deal. Um, I've never been one. I think I, I still have the mind of an adolescent in a lot of ways. Okay. <laughs> You know, the the we try to get our work in with as much one variety as possible and two competition as possible. What I mean is, you know, I was never the kind of guy that these are our five hitting stations. We're gonna do these five hitting stations every day. We're gonna get these are the five. We're gonna do them every single day. If I do something every day, I would go nuts. I mean, so we always, you know, try to mix in as much variety as possible. Um, and then. The second thing, while still obviously trying to get our work done and get the fundamentals covered, and the second thing um, was it whenever I can make something into a competition, we're going to make it into a competition. So instead of, just, I mean, just off the cuff thinking of something, instead of doing, you know, having my what the people that I call deer, my runners, my bump for a hit top guys, push and drag guys, is maybe I'm going to get eight of them after practice that day, and we're going to pair them up, and we're going to play better bunt game. And those guys are going to pair off against each other. And now we're going to amp it up a little bit with competition. So I think those two things, I mean, that's why they play is to compete. Um, and that's, those are two things I think that have kept us pretty fresh um, and, and keep us growing in our program throughout the year. That's cool. That's cool. Um, what are the, what's some of your favorite competitions to play? Well, I mean, we uh, the one one of the ones that we do. This is, and I, I apologize. A lot of these ideas are stolen from other coaches, and I don't know who to give credit for. But like the first, I saw this one time, and I've asked players before. I say, what's the what's the favorite what's the thing that was the favorite thing that we have done uh, in the time that you were with us? And it, the one that kept getting mentioned over and over is what we call validation BP. And validation BP is is a player is going to get a, a certain number of rounds, certain number of swings in a round. Um, but if they get a hit, then they have to validate it with a bunt. So we'll, we'll immediately, the very next pitch, we'll, we'll say, hey, sack bunt, third baseline, or push bunt, or whatever. Um, and they have to get that bunt down, you know, the right pace, the right line. It has to be the, the correct bunt, and they validate that hit, and they get a point for it. If they hit a wall over the wall or the ball gets to the wall, then it becomes two points, double points. And then we'll go through a round and like that group of five guys, you may be the leader and you had 10 points at the end of validation BP. Well, then the other guys hit that day and somebody's going to win validation BP. They're going to be the highest point earner uh, of the day. It might have been a guy who got. 15 singles and got all his bunts down. It might be a guy that hit the wall five times or over the wall. Mm. Uh, so it, it, that, that, that was, that one is a really good one. And then um, I spoke to some guys the other day at the Arkansas high school clinic. Um, and I was telling them about some of the, the ideas we have there. One of them I like is called, it's called a turn two game. And in turn two game, we're going to have our infield is going to be on the infield, usually two deep at each position. The outfielders, catchers, POs, whoever are going to be at the plate, and they've got a ball on on the tee. They're going to hit the ball off the tee and then run full speed to first base. The infielders, the turn two part of the game is the infielders are going to try to turn two before that guy gets to first base. 
if they do, they take a point off of the offensive score. Okay. If the offense reaches first base safely, they get a point. So if you hit a maybe a guy tops the ball off a tee with a shortstop, he knows there's no chance of a double play. His baseball clock now in his head tells him that ball needs to go to first base instead. Mm -hmm. He throws ahead of the runner at first base. If he's out, nobody scores. Okay. If he if it would have been a one hopper to shortstop, they turn the double play. There's nobody running on the bases, just the hitter running to first base. Mm -hmm. Turn the double play and the ball gets to first base and beats the batter runner, then it's one point off of offensive score. So we'll play that for 10 minutes. The team, the, the goal of the offense is to keep the goal, I'm sorry, the goal of the defense is to keep the offense at zero, 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 zero. And if whoever wins in the 10 minutes, uh, the loser owes me what I call a payback. I heard this <laughs> at the ABCA this past January. I heard somebody say this, and this is really right up my alley. Uh, they said, hey, if you're looking for a good idea for something for your players to have to do a payback, a competition, make them do jumping jacks. He said it's not going to kill them. Uh, it doesn't take long to do, and they're embarrassed to do it in front of the guy that because they look goofy doing it in front of the guy they lost to. That's right. They sure do. We came back. Now we immediately our paybacks became, hey, losing team has 25 jumping jacks uh -huh. or something like that. And they, they're right. I mean they they don't like to do it. Other teams kind of laughing at them when they're doing it, and it's not something you're not killing them. Um, it just makes it a little more fun for everybody. That's cool. And so are you competing against the, uh, like, are the, the two infielder teams competing each other? I didn't say that. If the infield, the infield is competing against, the infield is the defense and they're competing against the offense. If the guy at the position makes an error or makes a play, the other mm -hmm. guy hops in and takes his spot. So I, and I forgot to say that. So you keep, so if I'm making all my plays, I stay, but if I don't, I go out. Is that what you're mm -hmm. saying? Either way you want to. We we do it a lot of times where if you make a play, you step back and the other guy steps in. Or okay. you can also do it to where you only the other guy gets to step up only if the, the first guy makes an error. Yeah. Or allows the other team to have a point, or the offense to have a point. No, I get those are payback. And then if not, it was a payback. Yeah. Nice. What if uh oh that's cool. I'm just thinking that's cool. That's cool. So the turn two game, the validation BP. So those are like are those like Staples kind of in your program? They are. They're um and the better bunk game. Yeah. Those are two of our you know one of the staples of our competition. We'll we'll usually come out when we come out of warm up, uh our first part of our team session together. I, I call them bridge activities just for lack of a better term. So it's something that gets us probably to team defense. So out of warm up to team defense. Now Real quick, I'll tell you two things we do there. Another couple of competitions is live base running versus pitchers and catchers. And then we also do a deal, push out, drag out. Uh, so live base runner versus pitchers and catchers is we actually put all of our, our deer type base runners uh, at first base. And we put throw down bases behind first base. So we'll have a couple of throw downs back there. Those guys are making their way up through the line from throw down base one to throw down base two to own deck, to run in live. So mm -hmm. those guys throw down bases are diving back if it's a pickoff, and they're getting a jump and running a few steps uh, at those three bases. So we just don't have a bunch of guys watching one guy go live. When the guy steps up to the base, he's going live, and he's actually trying to run against our pitchers and our catchers. So instead of just getting pop times with a stopwatch, you know, two days a week or so, we're, we're actually throwing live to second base. 
Now we do it a couple of different ways. We we put a couple of cones by second base, just kind of for safety. Um, where sometimes we, we just run through the cones instead of sliding in. And then sometimes we do slide. If we're ever sliding in, is we pull the real base out and throw a put a throw down base on the ground in case somebody slides late and they don't jam or break an ankle or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's to slide. We just don't slide all the time. Uh, some like I said, sometimes we just run through the cones and the infielder catches the ball and then tags the ground. So we've got pitchers on the mound. We got catchers in gear at home plate. We've got first basemen that aren't runners holding the runners on first base, taking the pickoff throws. We have our middle infielders. They all throw their gloves down somewhere in the grass in front of second base on the infield. And then somebody starts and receives throws until another middle infielder comes to second base and they switch off and that guy goes back uh, to run in the base running line. Hopefully yeah, all there's runners. Right. Hopefully middle infielders are deer. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And then uh, push out, drag out is, is kind of similar. We take the, once again, the deer type guys at home plate and we have first and third baseman, pitchers on the mound, first and third baseman only. Uh, we don't let second baseman play in this, and we only let the catcher field a bunt if it's inside the dart circle. And then it's coach pitch, and the pitchers, you know, model his delivery, mock delivery up. They will throw to the plate, and our bunt for a hit type guys are either pushing or dragging, and those corner infielders are playing it. We do that for about five minutes. Um, and it's really good for our short game as far as the offensive side, and it's really good for our defenders, corner defenders, actually playing bunts. And it's good for the pitchers on that push-bunt path, trying to cut that ball off on their way to first base. Mm-hmm. Even the rotation on third base side as well. Mm-hmm. Then go. So are you all the plays are at first base. You're not doing anything with the second. You know, like you said, you're taking not more about them. Everything's at first. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a push and a drag game, so it's base hit for bun anyways. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Very good. So those are the bridge activities. Those are cool. So like um, and it's like, you know, like Jeff Sherman from I don't know if Jeff Sherman toast at Marcus in Texas talks about the jungle. That stuff's jungle stuff right there, too, man. It's playing it live. And you know, like you said, not just sitting there with a stopwatch, this and that. It's just it's actually live getting getting rolling. Right. Um this is great for team offense. You know, I mean, really, you're bringing everything into it. You're bringing team defense and offense into it. Awesome. Oh, great stuff. And so rolling in with that, man, like this is great. Like what this is, man, this is awesome. Um, then rolling into team defense. Team defense, you get a lot of sometimes simple, like are you competing in most – are you trying to compete with team defense at all? Yeah. We, I mean, there, there are a lot of ways we do that too. Um, one of my favorite drills, my new favorite drill on uh, team defense, there was a – University of North Carolina staff put out uh, a DVD not too long ago, and it had something on there they call the fundamental drill. We've been doing for about three years, three or four years now. And on fundamental drill, there are four rounds. Um, The first one is going to be a PFP. So here at at Rich Mountain, our POs are in line. They'll sprint out to the mound and – these four things happen one, two, three, four, and you repeat one, two, three, four until you reach the end of your practice time or you're satisfied with what's going on. So the first thing is a PFP, and then we're going to hit a ground ball on the infield. And the third pitcher runs out. He's got a ball in his hand. We run one of our pickoffs. And then the fourth thing is a ball to the outfield. So 
Well, let's go back through it again. So pitchers on the mound, the first thing is PFP. And it may be we may hit a ball back to the mound at him. So now it's going to be a running flip on a one-to-three feed for a putout. All right, as soon as that's over with is I'll hit a ground ball on the infield. I mean, what I will do is I've given them a time. We're working on the stopwatch. Or if I'm going low-tech that day, our guys know it's going to be four Mississippi. And as soon as I hit the ball off the fungo, I'm going to go one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and they're going to feel the ball. Uh, or it may be you know, we're going right-handed batter, four, three, or less. Um, four, three, or more, he's safe at first base. Or we're making that play. So we either stopwatch or this was a simple four Mississippi count. And then uh, the third thing is the pitcher goes out and we'll call and run one of our pickoff plays, defensive pickoff plays. And then finally I'll yell to the outfield where the runners are. I may say first and third, one out. First and third, one out, and we hit a ball into the outfield. Um, and then we, we just repeat that. We really like that. And then this past October we kind of modified that. Uh, I guess we, it would be like fundamental drill 2.0. Uh, so we've added two things to it. We added a catcher play. We wanted to get more action out of our catchers while this was going on, besides just saying, you know, get over there on a PFP or take it throws at the plate. So we added a catcher play, and then we added a time double play in there too. So it became six things for us. Uh, PFP, time ground ball, pickoff play, catcher play, time double play, and then ball to the outfield. So the four things became six for us this past fall. So that's my new – as far as team defense, there's not not necessarily competition there, but that's my new favorite team defensive drill that, that we do. Uh, just because it, you cover so much, you know, good stuff in a in a short amount of time. And you could almost change that almost every day. Keep keep your variety. Like you know, you like your variety, so you can almost do that. Like you can almost have different series, you know, every other day or whatever. Hey, the, you know, six things. So what, the the competition side of it. Are you com- are you like challenging the team and said, hey, we got ten minutes of this. We're gonna get through three sets of this. You know, is that the competition of it, or just the competition of it? Just the time on the infield, like having to make a play within the time. Yeah, the, the, I mean, they're they're working against a stopwatch. Um, you know, the competition is. I mean, I, I guess part of it is mental and physical. Both is we're going to try to execute. Whether it's the pickoffs, they're going to be timely. Uh, they're going to be accurate. They're going to be correct. You know, if we say bunt defense one, it's supposed to be a back pick. You know, and you throw a ball to the plate, something went wrong. Uh, so there is that aspect, and then the, the fact that we're battling the stopwatch in the outfield and then we you know we also um we also we don't do this a whole lot because we kind of incorporate it into another drill but you can also add your stopwatch in on your plays uh on your balls to the outfield yeah that's what i was wondering do you want like would you say like a like a get there like what you get at the second base or home at like seven like seven and a half i think what we do is if i remember remember these numbers um once again another another stolen drill this is uh we got it to ABCA. Um, eight and a half seconds is home to second. So if a hitter is going to second, we got to get it there before eight seconds, eight and a half seconds earlier. Uh, and we go just because I'm not good at math. We go seven seconds from first to third, and seven seconds from second to home. Okay. And then we go three point eight seconds on tag up, base to base. Okay. So you could, you could add to, if you wanted even more competition, you could add the. You know, you could add the stopwatch into the outfield play at the end. Absolutely. Um, 
player doesn't get it, you know, you, you don't make the time. Are you giving so many of those? Does the player who didn't get it do job? Does he get you owe you a payback, or is it mostly a team thing? It's mostly a team thing. And like I said, we don't we do not do – I mean, there's not as much competition in the fundamental drills there is in some of the other things we do. Right. Um, besides just the things we just mentioned previously. So it's not a really a pass or fail, loser or winner kind of deal when we do that drill. It was just, like I said, it, it's something we discovered in the last few years. It's been really effective for us uh, on the team defensive side of it. Would you recommend that every bit pitcher has a ball, like just every pitcher would have a ball in their pants when they would run out? You would recommend, like, what are some things, like just little things like that that you would recommend, like just so it moves smoothly? Should everybody have a ball? Sometimes they're going to – I know, like, they really only need to throw the ball in the pickoff, right? Right. Let me, uh, yeah, every pitcher needs a ball. That makes it go more smoothly. And then if you have, depending on what size school and what your coaching staff is, if everybody's on the same page together as far as making it go in a timely manner. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't like to, I can do it all myself or I can tell, and I can tell my pitching coach, hey, you have the PFPs, have them ready to go. You know, what would kill that would be, you know, the pace of the drill is if we had to stop and I had to turn to him and, and he had to think for five or 10 seconds on what the PFP was going to be. And, you know, now I'm waiting on him. The pitcher's waiting on him just as an example. So being organized and kind of having a clue uh, always helps that, that work better. And, and while, while I'm thinking of it too, one thing that we've done on the team defensive side, as far as organization, I stole this idea from football coaches. Um, we have, in my practice binder, we have several um, game situation scripts, and everything is scripted out. So, like a football coach is when he goes in with his scout team, comes out, and he's about to he goes through the script for that week. The reason we do that is so everybody, all my coaches or or me, but everybody on my staff knows what the play is and what's about to happen. And if it's my if my catcher coach if it's something he knows it's about to be pass ball wild pitch communication or whatever and he's ready to watch to make sure his position group does it exactly like they're supposed to once again idea i stole from, from football coaches if i'm coaching football and i'm coaching the defensive ends and i see on the script they're about to run reverse to my defensive inside then I, i'm more prepared to watch him and coach him up on that so we would, I, you know, I pull one of those scripts out and it says play one, nobody on base, come back or to the mound. Um, and what, there's nobody out. So the catching coach knows right now when I hit that ball, well, let's, let's say it's ground ball on the right side. It'll be a better example. Yeah. Uh, he knows he's listening and watching for his catcher to say, get over there, get over there to the pitcher. Does that make right. sense? Yes, it so does. Scripted out ahead of time. And I have a bunch of those made out to where, it's kind of like working a puzzle. There, if I have nobody on to start with, let's say I'm maybe my JV guys are running for me, and then the next situation, I'm going to take care, I'm going to take advantage of that guy who just ran the first base, and I'm going to say now there's a runner on first base. That's the next situation. Maybe it's um, our thirds bunt coverage with nobody out in the man on first base, uh, and then one kind of thing kind of builds on the other, and then I'll clear the bases. So to where it kind of flows better, you didn't, you wouldn't want to say nobody on base. And then all of a sudden, hey, bases are loaded. Uh, Johnny, Billy, Bobby, go run, get on the base. I mean, that, that way you you can say, hey, I'm about to hit a ground ball back to the pitcher. You need to stay on first after you after this play. So that kind of helps it flow a little bit better too. But 
I mean, we, I probably got a dozen of those, of those scripts. Yeah. Scripts in my, in my folder where I can just pull one out and, and know what's going on. And some of the things, I mean, we lost the game one year. We had a pitcher throwing no hitter. Uh, we got beat one to nothing on a no hitter. And mm. we had a, we had a runner from third tag up on a triangle pop up between the pitcher, catcher, and the first baseman. And nobody went, you know, third baseman or nobody went and covered home. Mm-hmm. So they ended up being the winning run. This no hitter tagged up and ran home on a caught pop up in a, in a triangle. So you better believe that that found its way onto the script. <laughs> in my coaching life to where we're covering, you know, that's, that's on the script because I never want to get beat on that again. <laughs> so like, so is this the, is this a fundamental drill script or you're just saying like just to get game situations, I guess just like different situations, like, but is this part of the fun, like the fundamental script? It's not. Is it's, that we're using? Yeah. It's just a different, it's a different thing we do for team defense. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. I, I'm team, following you now. Yeah. Game situation script, totally separate. Yes. From the okay. Yeah, the game I got you. So, like, that's even just like throwing them into game situations. Like you said, you would start with the runner and then just kind of build it from there. Okay, I see what you're saying. Right. Okay. With live runners, yeah. Okay. Got it, buddy. Yeah, oh. we, do, we do it versus air, or or we'll throw you know live runners out there, or JV guys will run that sort of thing. Yep. Um, shoot, heading into that, uh, just like team, team offense, you know, I guess you kind of already discussed it a little bit with the validation BP, uh, the better bunt game. And, um, those are two, like, well, all, all team offensive wise, you know, how you like to compete beyond the validation game, I mean, even in like situation too. So like, will you take, will you take those game, the, the situational game scripts as well as in putting on the offensive side as well? We do. I mean, yeah. we do different BPs. Just like that with offensive scripts. Yep. Do we'll do situation BPs where a group is at home, a group is at first, a group is at second, a group is at third, and we'll go, you know, where the hitter is at first base, and I'll call out a sit offensive situation there. Once again, I've got it written down where I can roll through these faster on the days we're doing this. Um, the BP and I'll say runner at first base sack bunt, and the hitter will execute that in BP. And we go with the runner at second base, and I'll call out a situation there. Nobody out, moving. Uh, then the runner at third, we're gonna go a down angle. And then and I'm just before every pitch, I'm I'm hollering, you know, to the team. I'm saying what the situation is. And then base is loaded. We may just react to a batted ball. The base is loaded. And then we the next hitter would hop in. And then we, everybody would rotate up a base. That's one thing we do. Um, what I like probably the most that we do as far as training our hitters on the offensive side, the team side. Um, as several years ago, I mean, a light bulb kind of went off, and so I've got the I've got this 120 pound dirt bag that plays second base for me. Um, it's just a scrappy ball player. He's not going to out athlete anybody. And then maybe I've got the 230 pound draft choice guy. Do I need to train? Do those guys need to train offensively the same? I mean, I've got you know the guy, the draft choice guy is hitting the ball 400 feet. Or, 450 feet and I got this other kid. So, you know, I got to thinking these guys don't need to be trained offensively the same. So we came up with a BP that I call production point BP. Um, what it does is we have one group. We split our, you can do more. We split our team into two different groups. And there, there were some years at a small high school. I may only have one group of what we called RBI slugging percentage guys. 
I may have one group of five guys and my other 15 or 20 may all be what we basically are dirt bags. I mean, they're going to be our on base average quality at bat kind of guys. And their BPs are, are kind of tailored to each other. And they're going to take them, you know, at the same time, I mean, they're on the same day, but group one steps up and they're going to have a round of five. And they're before every swing, we call out what they have to execute. And let's say like the, this is the quality at bat, you know, the dirt bag group, the quality at bat um, guys. I'm going to say sack bunt, first swing sack bunt, second move the runner from second base, uh, round, uh, third swing find the barrel, round four score the runner from third with less than two outs, round five drag bunt. And every time they execute that skill, they get a point or a check mark for that. And then we're going to go through about five different rounds. I have it scripted out. Uh, what every skill that I want now on the flip side of that, let's say it's round three for my, my slugging percentage RBI guys. It's going to say something like barrel, barrel, wall, wall, barrel. What that means is they've got to find the barrel the first two times. And you, and if you want to get, you know, a little high tech on it, uh, you can get your radar, your pocket radar out and, and track their exit velo. And it's got to be a certain exit velo to be considered to be a barrel. Wall is pretty easy. It's got to get to the wall or it's got to clear the wall, one or two. They only oh, get a cool. point if they do some damage at the wall. Cool. So, once again, barrel, barrel, wall, wall, barrel. That round for them was find the barrel, find the barrel, hit the wall or over the wall again, and they end up with a barrel. So their, their rounds are a little bit different. Um, there's too many too many variables to go into what each one is. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, if somebody's interested, I'll be happy to share that with them. Um, if they just reach out to me, but that we started kind of that helped us get better because we started training guys more specifically to their skills. I mean, if we go back to the, the, you know, the potential future major league baseball player, uh, he doesn't need to be dragging and push button a whole lot. Cause that's not, not something I'm going to ask him to do on our field. It's 305 feet to left. And we're going to, we're going to try to let him do some more damage. So that's kind of what we train for. Now, I'm not going to ask the, you know, the 120-pound second baseman we mentioned earlier to look to do a whole lot of damage. I want him to have quality at bats and pass the baton to the next guy and the next guy until the guy that does the damage comes up and he, you know, he strikes a crippling blow, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Do all those two teams, so like will the RBI guys, those two teams compete against each other in some manner, or is it just basically saying, hey, I was the winner today? So if we, we we got rain here today, we we're going to do the same BP today. And I had them divided up on the two different sheets of paper, scoring sheets. And somebody was going to win, you know, the quality at bat group, and somebody was going to win the slugging percentage group. We we're going to have two different winners, and they would be the highest point total guy on each one of those two sheets. And we usually, even guys at my level now, the junior college level, they still like prizes. I mean, that, whether it's a Jolly Rancher or a Shake from Sonic, they like they still compete and they like to win things. So we're gonna, you know, they're gonna win something. I don't know what it's gonna be exactly that day. Um, this group I've got now, they love chocolate milk in the morning in the weight room. They, they, I mean, there's nothing I think they like more than they win. Like, you know, say those two guys, if we'd have gotten to go outside and do this BP today. Um, I was probably bringing two different guys chocolate milk to the weight room tomorrow morning. And that's, you know, they, 
even everybody loves to win. Everybody loves to compete, especially guys who are athletes. I mean, they, that's that kind of gets their motor going. Absolutely. I love that. I love being able to train them certain ways. And then like you're even specializing, individualizing along with being able to compete within the team. Um, any team kind of competitions, you know, like do you challenge the team in a certain situations, you know, being able to kind of, you know, build that, build that team, you know, a little bit of team chemistry, being able to challenge them that way. Yeah. We always try to work with uh, my pitching coach is also our strength and conditioning coordinator here. He does a really good job incorporating that into the weight room. Um, and then just trying to end every day or every few days with, with some kind of competition, pairing up by competition. Um, and we do the same thing at practice too. Um, trying to think of a specific example. I can't think of anything right now offhand. Specific. I mean, challenge, I guess in the weight room, I mean, it's pretty, the weight room's a great time for it as well, you know. I was thinking, how, how are your challenges in competing in the bullpen? Like, how does your pitching coach really kind of take the same mindset towards the competition within with your pitching staff? He does. Even he does a really good job of even uh, in our inner squads. He'll pair up pitchers uh, on teams. Not, I don't necessarily mean the inner squad teams. I mean in different groups. And they'll, I think he calls us the nasty boys. And they, he has a point system. I wouldn't be able to tell you what all goes into that point system. But he has a point system, um, and it might be, you know, a team earns a point for um, what we call A3P after three pitches. The hitter is on base, out, or he has two strikes. Uh, and he's got a bunch of different categories like that. And there he's going to have a winning group and a losing group. Um, even outside of our normal inner squad, you know, scorekeeping score um, on the scoreboard, is that they're going to be a winning pitcher group and win a losing pitcher group. And then you know, also just the competing in the bullpens. I know, I know they do some of that too. Uh, whether it's horse bullpens where they execute pitches, or a guy gets a letter if he doesn't match a pitch by the other guy. It's like you play horse in basketball. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I think too with the what's one thing with the technology. Technology makes it easier uh, for everybody. Pitching coaches, bullpens, as far as having access to the numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, he does something similar to this. I know in, with in with the bullpens, but we break out the um, the rap soto unit or the pocket radar, and like on one of our inside stations, and the guy's got a you know he hot, he has to name his velocity in the cage, exit velocity in the cage, and we we try to tell them that it's going to be within ten percent of what your normal max, your measured max is. So if my measured max exit velo is ninety. 10% of that is nine. So I've got to hit the ball 81 miles an hour on my exit below or higher, or I may lose my turn. Mm. Using that as an example, he's he's done something similar to that um, with his pitching staff and just competing, you know, whether it's spin rate, below, location, all that kind of stuff. And back to my original point, I mean, technology has made that easier for us is, you know, we – did you hit that flush? I felt like I did. Well, it was only 72 miles an hour, so <laughs> it wasn't as flush as you think it was. Absolutely. So 10% of your exit velo, 
it also reduces velocity. That's become one of my that's become one of my favorite inside hitting stations is where they you know they they have to they're get, they're gonna get you're gonna get six swings. I mean this group of three guys in the cage you're gonna get three sw six swings and rotate. But if you when you hop into the cage, you tell me what your you know what's your number, what's your what's your number again? And for us it's gonna be ten percent of my exit velo, max exit velo. Um and if it's not within 10%, I lose my last you know, three swings or whatever. So it, you know, you're you're swinging with more intent, but you're also swinging at better pitches. Mm -hmm. It's hard to swing the trash and hit it within 10% of your, your max exit. You know, so it helps on a number of different levels. Absolutely. How do you test for max exit velo? Well, we have. What do you, what do you like to use? We, we, I mean, beyond just like beyond just using that, like, is it just a straight up T, or are you talking like off the off a of BP machine? Are you all talking machine? How are you like? How are they get? How are you getting their max exavilo? So what we how do, do here, that? I mean, we 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 use T. Uh, even with some of the guys we work out at prospect camps, we use T and measured exit velo with a radar gun or radar device there. But um, you know, we we have not trying to get free advertising. We have a Rapsodo unit, and it gives us. Uh, it provides us with an average, and there are others that, that do this too, I'm sure. It provides us with an average exit velo, your average exit velo. So we, we can measure your max, but it also provides us with that player A's average exit velo. So we can do that one of two ways. We can say your max exit velo is this, said, or we can we just on on and what we do is we I like short toss, sitting down. We do seven paces away or about 21 feet away, overhand short toss thrown to the bottom of the zipper. Uh, we try to throw it around 32 miles an hour. We're trying to simulate plane of pitch, the velocity of the pitch. Really the only thing that's it's different is, is the baseball looks really big when you're that close. It's not quite the same, but we're, we're still trying to model what we're going to see in a game. That's why I don't like underhand front toss as much. Uh, we prefer to do the overhand. So, I like to, if we're going to track, if we're tracking just max, max exit below, a lot, we're going to do it off the tee. That's going to kind of be our standard there uh, with the radar device. But if we're trying, going to try to get your average, for us, we do it most of the time on that around 21-foot overhand short toss, we call it. Um, so both of those mm -hmm. things kind of work together for us. I love, I love how you're very intentional about just what you said, what you're going to see in the game. And, and you already know exactly how many miles per hour you are, which I'm sure you've probably seen like the correlation between the, the how far you are and things like that. Yeah. That's super solid, super intentional. It's awesome. Purposeful. Purposeful. Love it. So, again, another thing of a data tip. Here, again, 30 year coach, talk about rap sodos, uh, talking about exit velocity. Um, you know, and then being able to let guys, you know, don't have to bunt because you're not going to ask them to do it in the game. Right. Or, I mean, you know, we tell our – some of our sluggers, the guys that we consider kind of to be sluggers, um, you're probably – you know, honestly, when we when we ask you to sack bunt, it's probably going to be the third baseline because that means, you know, in, in our case, with our standards is there's a runner on second base or first and second we're trying to get 
that guy to third base. So even with our slugging percentage guys, even if they did sacrifice, their their main sacrifice month for us is going to be sack third base. That's one they have to be really good at. Um, we're not going to ask them in our system to, to sack bunt with a runner at first near as much or as frequently as we would with a runner at third base. And I, I, I don't want to, you know, get in that debate on should you sack bunt or not because, you know, that'll be a Twitter war that you see all the time <laughs> on whether or not you believe in sack bunt. And I'm just saying if, if we are going to do it, and we are, uh, I need my – and I need my bashers to at least be able to be proficient at sack button third baseline. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, and also, because you never, never know what the time of the game is. You know, you can go have a guy go 0 for 3 and just not seeing the ball well and you do whatever, you know. I don't I don't know. It just depends on the situation, too. Um, you know, who knows what the situation comes up and you might just need it. Um, but, no, it's totally understandable, Coach, for sure. You play a winning game. Like I said, your track record and the numbers speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh my! One thing we found out, I mean, no matter which side of the coin that you fall on, on the sack bunt or not sack bunt category, or just how you feel about short game in general, I think it's important that you you have to think about the level of baseball you're talking about. And it, you know, the lower at the high school level, especially the smaller school level. Uh, they don't handle the baseball, obviously. They don't handle the baseball. They don't play catch as well as they do on TV. So I can't tell you how many state championship games. I've, I've In Arkansas, the University of Arkansas most years host the state championship games, and there are seven classifications. So over two different days, they're going to play, play seven state championship games. I've been there every year. If we hadn't played in it, I've attended every year except for one since they started there in 1999. So mm. I'm just saying that to say I've seen a lot of state championship games in Arkansas. I've seen a lot of dog piles, which yeah. is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, but I can't tell you how many times I've seen bunts picked up at Bomb Stadium in the most pressure-filled moments and thrown down to the tarp down the, down the right field line. Uh, just the whole game changed, you know, on, on that play. So before – like with anything, I think before anybody discounts something, you've got to think about the level that you're talking about. And is, is that is that opinion applicable to high school baseball in this case or junior college baseball or whatever? And I mean, I, I've seen it. I mean, I know what happens with the average high school team when the pressure's on and the bunt's placed on the ground and people are running. So I think it's, you know, you're – you're missing out on a tool in your tool belt to be very valuable if you're not ready to, to play that game when you need to. Yeah, and I think what you said there was just like the nail on the head too, like the in your tool belt. Like if the game calls for it and the situation's right, we're going to do it. That's what, if, if that's what I hear you say. Yeah, I agree. In terms of bunt, so like your bunt, your bunt game, could you get in detail, like detail us out a little bit more than that? Is it just a matter of like cones, points, like you're just giving a point for like execution, or is it a point for basically placement? So, but I mean, we we're specific enough here is that, and I'm kind of greedy. I want everybody to be safe, not to the point where we're not going to get the bunt down first and run second. That's a really big, you know principle as far as I think the, the bunt game 
especially the sack bunt game. Uh, but we want to bunt it at a speed and a pace that's going to – was safe enough for us where it's going to be fair, but it's going to stop at a place that's a high-pressure zone for you. Uh, so that for us is usually around 28, 32 feet from home plate. So when we come out to start the year, start the practice season, there are a lot of times there are going to be bunt zones painted that I've painted on our field. And one of them is going to be a, a semicircle that goes from one foul line to the other. That's a, a zone of about 28 or 32 feet from home plate. And that's our kill bunt zone, the pressure bunt zone. And we're trying, if we can, um, to make the ball, unless we're trying to get it past the pitcher and make the third baseman come get it, we're trying to, if we can't kill the ball in that zone where everybody's safe, including the, the batter runner. Um, and then one thing we do, too, is – we call it the deer point game. Once again, it's back to the uh, the bump for a hit type guys. Is see if I can make this make sense. We paint a rectangle that is ten feet across from. So the foul line makes one side. It is mm-hmm. now ten feet wide, and it goes parallel to the baseline. It starts fifteen feet from home plate. And it stops 15 feet from third base, so it's that makes it a 60 foot long rectangle. It is 10 foot wide. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The foul line makes up one side of it. Then halfway halfway through that zone is we paint. We take the painter and we paint a stripe right down the middle, five feet. Uh, so now you've got on the on the foul line side, you've got a zone. You've got a, what we call a 30 point line in the middle, and you've got another zone on the pitcher side. So the, the zone on the pitcher side is the 10-point zone. The zone on the foul side where the foul third base foul line is is the 20-point zone. If you can stop one on the line in the middle, it's 30 points. Oh. Does that make sense? Yes. So I'll get, you know, I'll get my group of, of base hit bunters up there. This is a drag bunt day, obviously, because we call it any bunt to third base to us is we call it drag bunt, whether it's left-handed or right-handed. And they're going to go through a rotation. Um, and it, this is another one of those things we talked about as far as bridge activities earlier. We'll mm-hmm. do this. A lot of times we'll have try picks going on on the mound. So the pitchers are on the mound working on their pickoffs to each base while this is going on. And we got a pitch machine set up or coach pitch. Uh, we usually get a hack attack junior up in front of the mound and we're feeding balls to these base hit mm-hmm. So we got try picks going on and we got the what we call the deer point game going on too. I mean, those guys are going to. They'll step up, execute the drag bunt, and I'll record on a score sheet, I'll record the, the score. They have to go get the baseball and pick it up uh, and put it in a bucket and then go to the end of the line. So let's say we have eight guys, and those eight guys go through, that's round one. And if we – our goal is to make it through ten rounds if time allows, uh, and they have to average ten points a round to not owe me a payback. So if we went ten rounds – your score should be 100 or greater at the end in order to avoid the payback. And if it was 80 and we went through 10 rounds, well, you know, you're supposed to average 10 points a round. You owe me 20-something on paybacks. Maybe it's 20 jumping jacks or uh, 20 air squats or whatever. And if you got zero, you owe me 100 of, of whatever it was. If you have 100 or 110 or 120, then you have nothing. And once again, you're going to have a winner. And you're going to have somebody – you have a, guy, a lot of guys who probably didn't win. 
uh, they're owing you a payback for that. So in about 10 minutes, we can usually in about 10 to 15, 10, 12 minutes, we can go through 10 rounds uh, of about eight guys or so of my base hit threat guys. So that's that's another thing we do as far as the, the short game part. Once again, another competition. I know we're talking a lot about those because yeah. we do a lot of those. Um, yeah. But and that's another thing that, that kind of will bridge us a lot of times. We'll come right out of a warm-up and into that, uh, especially when, you know, if it's right before a, a team defensive segment. As much as you like to compete, and I was just thinking about, I was thinking about the bridge, the thing about beforehand, you talk about you're warming up. As much as you like to compete, is that, are there anything in your catch play that you like to do to compete? I was just thinking about this, and then you mentioned it. So one thing we do um, with our infielders is, and that's my group here at the college, is as soon as we finish, either before we start or sometimes as soon as we finish, usually before we start, but is we'll do what we call ball handling, and it's ripping off basketball coaches. But So every infielder has a baseball. You know, and We want them to be able to deflect and have good hands and the transfers are clean is we make them go through four different ball handling exercises. And they're the first one to get to 10 exchanges, raises the baseball in the air. I'll say their name out, and they, they've won the first round of ball handling. And it's, once again, every single day they they love to compete, and they, they have fun at it when we do it. So the first thing is going to be around the waist. So I've got my glove on, my ball in my hand, and I have to go behind my back, put the ball in my glove, bring it to the front, take the ball out, and I go around my waist like a basketball player, 10 times, raise my glove up. And I'll say Johnny or whoever, and Johnny won the first round. He'll, you know, he'll cheer. Everybody else will kind of groan. Then we'll go to the second one's around our knees. We just bend down, do the same thing around our knees. And then it's hard to explain these on a podcast, but the the third one is figure eight. So like a basketball player would take the basketball between his legs, figure eight, do that for the baseball. But we have to, it's not a throw behind your leg and carry it all the way around. Is we throw it, catch it, take it out, throw it in front of the leg, and say it's a right leg. I'm going to throw it behind my leg, reach around, take it out, throw it in front of my leg. Now I catch it behind the left leg so it's not just wrapping around. And then the fourth one is scissors. Uh, and it's the scissoring action of my feet jumping back and forth. And every time I scissor, I'm transferring the ball between my legs. And once again, I'm counting one. To, and when I get to 10, I raise the ball in my glove up, and there's there's a winner. So um, that's one thing we do with the catch play. Uh, two other things we do that I really like a lot, uh, especially when, when I was at the high school level. Uh, the first one is called the 25 ball drill. Mm-hmm. And the second one is just a star drill, which I got off one of those Tom Amansky tapes back in the dark ages. Oh, my, yeah. I started coaching. So the, the 25 ball drill is the infielders or whoever, catchers can be in this too. Uh, we're going to get in two groups. Let's get about 90 feet apart on the high school level. And we're going to wrap. We're going to throw the ball. So a line of people, and there's one person in front of each line. We start. We throw it to the other guy. He catches it, deflects it quickly, and throws it back to the other guy. Every time we make a clean exchange, it's one. I mean, it, it can't one, two, three, four. After you catch, you go to the end of the line. And then if you throw one away, it goes back to zero. We're going to do 25 clean exchanges in a row. And as soon as we get 25, it now becomes rundowns. So we take that ball and we sprint towards the other guy, get it up. 
give him a toss, dark toss right in the chest, let him keep his fingers up, and that guy runs back the other way. So we go from 25 throws to 25 rundown exchanges without spiking one down at somebody's ankles or throwing it too hard. Anytime we go to uh, – once we clear the throws, what I do is now we're only working on rundowns. You know, if you want to be a hard nose yeah, about it, right. go all the way back to zero, back up, do throws again. You right. can do that too. Uh, so and we do 25, the 25 ball drill, 25 throws and 25 rundown throws. It doesn't take very long, especially if you're pretty good at catch play. It can take long if you're not very good at it. But, you know, if you're not very good at it, you don't need to move on to anything else because you can't <laughs> catch the throw yet. That's right. And then the <laughs> second thing is is a star drill. And they're literally – I put cones down, five cones in the shape of a star. Make it as wide as you want to for your level of play. Um, and the players just throw the ball back and forth 25 times. But you can't throw it to the guy on your immediate right or your immediate left. That only leaves you those two options. So and that that's really kind of the only rule. And the second safety rule is you never turn your back on the baseball. If, it, there's a, if it's thrown to him, there's, a, I guess, a 50-50 chance it's about to be thrown right back at your line. That's true. Yeah head turn going to the end you get brained so we tell them you can't throw it to the guy on the immediate right or left and you can't turn your back on the baseball after you throw it because i mean if we have three guys at each one of those five points of the star he's going to throw it and then back out and go to the end of the line and the next guy steps steps up so those are really good um just catch play drills or end of catch group group catch drills at the end of catch play and then what we'll do is like on the the star drill is if they just to kind of ramp it up a little bit more is somebody's going to do, I'm still young enough. I'm not very young, but I'm still young enough. I can, I can at least knock out about 20 pushups. That's about it. But, um, so somebody's going to do 20, either you're going to do 20 or I'm going to do 20 when you complete it. So we're going to go star drill. And if you throw it away, you know, drop and give me 20. And then it gets really hard to play star drill after you've done about 40 push-ups. I found out <laughs> uh, or whatever you want to do, sit-ups, air squats, jumping jacks. And then if they, if they rip off 25 in a row, they're clean and old coach drops down and they get to count out my push-ups on that drill. So we, there you go. Those are two of my favorite group catch uh, activities as far as the competition side. Oh, that's a lot of fun, man. That's a lot of fun. Kids got to love it. Kids got to love it. But they don't count. They I find out they don't count very well when I do my push-ups because sometimes our numbers are not the same. That was only 19. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. That was great stuff, Coach, man. That was, I appreciate all you diving into all that, man. That was really, really great. Um, oh, man, just the competition of it just having a great time i love it the variety and the competition just uh gosh getting into all that golf the deer point games oh man it was a lot of fun um but you kind of mentioned it earlier about like you know wanting to um well i guess coach let me just let me just and wrap it up here with this i close like it, it all the stuff that we've kind of gone through is there is there anything that you feel like we you know you'd you'd like to you'd like to add anything that you might want to just throw out there of uh that we didn't cover or something that you'd like to talk about? Well, I mean, the one thing, this is one thing I say, say a lot when, especially to the younger, or to the younger guys, especially that just started coaching. Um, the main thing that helped me in my career, and, and I would suggest to anybody, is 
is find you a mentor or mentors as many as you can. Even even after I coached for 28 years and I got ready to move to the junior college level, which ended up being a, not a very – say I retired in Arkansas. It's not a very good retirement plan. It's a whole lot of work, I found out. <laughs> so I'm drawing my teacher retirement, but I'm also working at the college. I still, though, I found mentors. I reached out to the guys I know who've been down this path before, college baseball coaches that I had a relationship with, just to just to try to prepare me for – I knew there was a lot I didn't know. Uh just to where it wasn't as much drinking out of a fire hose as, as it was. Cause it was, even with those guys, it was a lot. Um, I was smart enough. I told people I was smart enough to realize that there was a lot I would not know moving to this level. I was not smart enough to realize how much there would be. There was more than I probably thought. Um, we won't go into that because there was a lot to talk about there too. But if I hadn't had those mentors at that point, even after, you know, coaching baseball for almost 30 years, I would have been sunk starting this job. So I think it's really important as a young coach to, to just reach out to guys and have mentors and don't be scared to approach guys that um, you may not necessarily know yet that have been successful because baseball coaches are – that's one thing about this this bunch. They're more than willing to help usually. Um, it just takes you know, having the nerve to ask somebody. So – I mean, that, that's my big suggestion to somebody who's starting out in coaching or a younger coach is just latch on to some of those mentors and and find you somebody to bounce ideas off of um, just to kind of, you know, to help you grow. And then the second thing is you know, we talked about this. I'm 54 now, uh, but I still embrace technology. And I, I've, I've tried to always be a lifelong learner. Uh, and I think that's important, too. I mean, you may not like to read, and there are different options for that, but, man, if you're not reading, you're, you're missing out, in, in my opinion. At least read, you know, articles or, or something about your sport. Just just try to keep growing and try to keep learning. And that's what one of the keys to the success that, that we've had in our programs uh, is we always try to stay on, on the cutting edge. If somebody is – if there's a better way to say something, or there is a new way to do something, I want to know about it. And I, I you know, we, we always have to kind of be a little bit of a, have a filter and you're not going to use everything, but I mean, I've always been the kind of guy that I want to know and I want to be able to make my own determination on, is this something we can use or not? Or is this a better way to say this or another way to say this that I might get across to somebody uh, than what I've, I've used before. So, those two things, I, I'm a, you know, that, that would be my best piece of advice that I would have for somebody who's starting out in coaching is find you mentor or mentors and then just, you know, just try to be a lifelong learner for, for everybody. Well said, Coach. Appreciate that. Um, if somebody would want to reach out and reach out to a, let, you know, a great coach like yourself, what would be the best way to do that? So I'm on, I'm on Twitter. So they can send me a message on Twitter. Anything that, that I have, I'd be willing to share. Um, any of the things that we've talked about, I'm at Spigner23. It's S-P-I-G-N-E-R-2-3, at Spigner23. And then my, you know, um, my school email is lspigner, L-S-P-I-G-N-E-R, at U-A-Rich Mountain. 
www.edu. If you want to reach out by email to me there, either one of those two things um, would be, and I'll try to get back to you as fast as I can if you have questions about anything. I told you, Coach Spagner, tons of information you could take right now, you could take right in your practice. Where do you want to start? You want to start with catch play? All right, do your 25-25 drill. You want to go into team defense? Great. Go do your fundamental drill. Uh, you want to go to team offense? Awesome. Do the validation BP. Tomorrow you can do all those things, bring in variety, competition, then next day, start building your stuff. You want to have something to do right now? Start building your stuff for all your different types of hitters, building their BP plan for their situational scripts. Or their situational scripts, too. It's another thing you can do. A lot of great things. He just... No secrets. Here it is. Here's how you can get better. Here's how you can help you develop your guys. So, really nice stuff uh, from Coach Spiner. It's phenomenal. Again, reach out to those guys. Reach out to him if you got any questions or anything. Um, it was a, just a pleasure talking to him. I love talking to a guy, just talking shop, talking baseball. It's just it's what's great about the coaching, the baseball coaching world. And we mentioned it. We talked about it off off the air, and that's what's great about it. And we talked, I think, on the air too. Like he, he mentioned about, like, this is what's great about yeah, what getting a coach, getting a mentor, getting reaching out because people, baseball coaches love it. And that's why I still, still love it. Here we are 99 weeks later. Talking to guys, talking to shop, and yep, it's uh, it's it's a it's a great game. It's a great fraternity of coaches that just love to share. So again, Coach Spider, thanks for being a great example of that, and um, thanks to guys at World Minor, thanks to guys at Any Pros for helping us with sponsorship, making this happen. And feel free to reach out, give me any feedback, any uh, anybody else that loves to talk some shop, and happy to do that. And here we are next next week. Next week's a hundred. Next week is 100, 100 weeks. So getting up, getting close to two years, and I appreciate you guys hanging on with us here. And Coach Spiner, thanks again. And until next week, keep getting better. <laughs>